Hi, I'm Carol Pope, and you're listening to the Stewie Tunes Show with Tony Stewart and Aaron Badgley. It started out innocently enough as a gag on campus radio at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. Mike McCormick and several friends would go on and do comedy sketches and musical numbers while Mike was completing his master's degree in metallurgical engineering. They quickly caught the attention of CBC Radio, and the arrogant worms were born. Performing in a variety of musical styles, it was and continues to be their songs that poke fun at daily life in Canada, including Canada's Really Big, We Are the Beaver, and I Am Not American, that have made them a national treasure. Fifteen albums and numerous international tours later, Mike continues making music and still hasn't worked as a metallurgical engineer. Welcome to the Stewie Tunes Show. These are insights and commentary on the music and musicians that shape our lives. And now, let's go back to class with your host, Tony Stewart. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for joining me today. It's uh, really nice to finally meet you. Yeah, you too. So I'm with uh, Mike McCormick of uh, The Arrogant Worms, and uh, we were chatting beforehand, and it seems like, you know, we've crossed paths uh, very nearly a bunch of times over the last few years, but we've never managed to connect until now, so it's great to finally uh, put a face to a name, and uh, it's amazing that we've got some uh, crazy connections that we we just discovered, but... um, the North Bay connection. I, I'm a North Bay native, so I'm going to do a shout out to North Bay here before we really get started with the interview. But tell me your your North Bay connection, because that, that blew me away. Well, lived in North Bay for about three years. My significant other, she did. she's a lawyer and she did her articling in North Bay. And then you do a uh, bar ads course and, and then you get bonked on the head. You are a lawyer um, and you're most lawyers uh, bonk on the head. You now have uh, 20000 in debt. And uh, to start your own <laughs> law office, you have to pay malpractice insurance. There's another twenty grand, And uh, good luck. And so she figured uh, she had some ties in North Bay. And the, the woman she'd done her articling with uh, let her share some office space. So, yeah, I lived there. Um, so I was touring with the Worms quite a bit in those days. And it turned out North Bay wasn't the greatest place to tour from, as you would know (laughs) well. Um, Because if ever we had to fly someplace, I could take one of the two flights a day out of the North Bay airport for uh, a, uh, you know, bargain price of usually about 700 bucks each way. Or I could drive to Toronto. And when you drive from North Bay to Toronto in, say, let's call the month January, you get to drive through the, the snow belt in Huntsville and the snow belt in Aurelia. And assuming you survive, uh, then you get to Pearson. There's your reward. Um, <laughs> and then you get to pay Toronto parking. Yeah, uh, you know, boo-hoo-hoo, poor, poor musician. Um, and we had uh, friends and family in the Ottawa area and... Uh, She got a job offer in, of all places, Renfrew. And here I am. And so how long have you been in Renfrew for? About 20 years. Oh, wow. That's about the same length of time I've been in in this area, almost 25 years. But uh, it's amazing. And yet we still have... (laughs) 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 It it still takes a computer phone call to actually meet each other. That's good. Yeah, exactly. Welcome to 2020. There we go. Um, But uh, it is amazing 
how many people you run across from North Bay. I don't know if you've noticed that, but you just run into them everywhere. There's a huge diaspora, I guess, that's out there. Oh yeah, there's the ties. And and I grew up in Hamilton and for some reason there's weird connections between Hamilton and North Bay. And you know, uh Mike O'Shea, the linebacker, you know, he was from North Bay, started mm-hmm. with the Tie Cats and is, you know, he's in Winnipeg now. But you know, there are there are all sorts of those connections and yeah. And the same in Hamilton, you meet uh, hammer people everywhere. And, yeah. You know, there's that iron lung sort of sound that they all have. It's beautiful. All right, so take me back to uh, Kingston in 1991, uh, because that's, uh, from what I've been able to gather, that's when the whole journey with the Arrogant Worm started. But I, as a musician, I love hearing stories about how people met and um, how groups were formed. And so uh, take me back to that and let, let's, let's just get a, t- a sense of um, how the Arrogant Worms came to be. Okay, are you going to do like a little background uh, film music for the flashback sequence? Um, <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, that would be beautiful. Uh, so uh, we met while at Queen's University doing various degrees. Um, the people that ended up being the Arrogant Worms, we met in a, a campus uh, cabaret theater troupe called the Queen's Players. Queen's Players did were, did these cabaret-style shows, not unlike the, the Mississippi Muds used to do, we'll talk about that later, that were sort of mashup shows that had a collection of pop tunes, show tunes, Monty Python sketches, held together by a meager thread of a plot and performed in the Engineer's Pub. So the cast was drunk, the audience was smashed, and uh, it was a good time. And because it was these, it was a fun style of performing. You're you're just you're you're going for the laughs. But we got some frighteningly talented people involved in that group because a lot of them didn't want to do music, straight music or musical theater or drama or anything. You know, these were people who were just sort of extroverted or like to sing or you know like to try to make mm-hmm. people laugh. And then out of that, you'd, you'd get various groups. So the, there were four of us at the time. Uh, one of the guys, Trevor Strong, he had a friend who had a show on the campus radio station. It was a magazine format show airing at the coveted time slot of Sunday evenings from midnight till 2 a.m. <laughs> so he would play anything. He once had a show where he played like... Uh, you know, a Beethoven sonata, a segue from that into sounds from the Hubble Space Telescope, and then a sketch by his friends. So we would go in there, and, and sometimes we would have written sketches, sometimes we'd just make stuff up, and then uh, we'd see what, what he played. And then over the course of a couple of years of doing that, usually once a week, um, we occasionally would do a song. And uh, the songs were simple, sometimes humorous. Some of them have lasted in, in the worm set to this day. And uh, out of the blue, one I'd written this song that was the hot issue in Kingston in the day, and it comes back every few years, it is cross-border shopping. Not a big issue right now. Um, <laughs> but, but I'd written a song that was a very Gilbert and Sullivan style song. So we uh, got all of our friends who could sing, we uh, shoved them all into the campus radio studio and, and we, we, we did it live off the floor, 15 people and one guitar. And we sent it to all the CBC programs we could find addresses for. 
and miraculously really if you think of like what it's like today or even any day yeah uh, two national shows decided to play it on the same day wow and so we didn't have an act we didn't have a name we didn't have we didn't have a lineup um but we had a song and we gave it the name the arrogant worms and that came out of uh, i'm sure you're going to ask it came out of uh trevor and a couple buddies being in a bar with a pitcher of beer and a list of adjectives and nouns and putting them together and as the the beer diminished uh the the combinations became hysterical and <laughs> we always thought it was a stupid name tried to change it never thought of anything better then got this song played on national radio and for better or for worse, it's a name that people remember. People remember the worms part. So that kind of worked out. So that's, that's how it started. We started doing occasional shows. It was still a lot of sketch comedy. Uh, doing sketch comedy in bars, like it's tough enough to play music in bars, but trying to do sketches if you don't have the right PA mm-hmm. um, and they're not always funny, it's, it's, it's terrible. Um, but the songs were easier. They, they were memorable. And through, again, it wasn't like an intense audition process. Our voices matched and we had kind of a knack for having a melody. And I mean, when, when we started, like I'm the guitar player in the band. I wasn't the guitar player. It was just one day I sort of said, you know, Trevor, I could play guitar. I know not only a third chord, but I have a guitar that stays in tune. Yeah. Would that be a good idea? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that's the kind of democratic process we had as a band. So. Oh, very cool. Um, I, my son, my youngest son, I mentioned to him uh, last night that we were doing an interview and he remembers because I saw the Worms for the first time at the Blue Skies Festival. Uh, you guys were playing there and I'd been playing there that as well that year. And uh, okay. so he, he's, he's like, Oh man, that'll be, that'll be great. You know, for, for you to interview them. And he remembers all the songs that day. Oh. So yeah, pretty fun. Uh, well, again, when we started, we thought we were hip college artists, you know, writing edgy comedy for a very niche market. And then, but we, we were never, potty mouth comics we don't say bad words i didn't even ask you beforehand if we should say bad words on your podcast i probably won't unless you get me really wound up or angry or excited um and then you can edit and um <laughs> but that was the kind of comedy that we all liked we like like bob newhart and the mm-hmm. muppet show um you know monty python were edgy but they didn't they didn't swear no that's true um, and, and so that was the kind of stuff. So we would get when, when we finally recorded something and like I get comments from my friends. Yeah, I put the tape on and my daughter goes to sleep to it. And that's like there, there's a real, you know, uh, four star review for edgy comedy. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it puts my kid to sleep. And then she bought three more. And then we said, yes, we are your bedtime band. Yay. <laughs> so... <laughs> But you know the year that uh, uh, that I saw you at uh, Blue Skies. I mean, talk about uh, people who don't need to swear. I think Fred Penner was on that year as well. Mm-hmm. And t- that guy had the audience eating out of his hand. It was unbelievable. You know? Oh yeah, and in, in the past few years, he's had this great show because he's got all these kids that are, you know, either doing university or through university that mm-hmm. grew up watching his show, 
And so they will listen to the song he wrote yesterday that's about, you know, Andrew Shear's a dickhead or something and like that. And then he, then he can do the, do the stuff from 30, 40 years ago and they're singing along. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a neat thing. And, and it, gr- it's all, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but, oh. but it, it's, it's also kind of a testament to him absolutely accepting w- what and who he is as a performer. Yeah. Oh I, yeah. I nice guy. Run. And I, I mean, I had a really nice conversation with him backstage and super nice guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's go over some, uh, you know, obviously, cause that, that's fascinating how the worm started and it just grew. Um, some career highlights. So you've done 14 albums. Is that correct? Probably. Yeah. Like a lot. Anyway, lots <laughs> like of albums, lot. more than two hands. Worth. I'll, yeah. I'll tell, I'll tell you, Tony, when, when we started, I used to, I used to hate when I'd hear musicians interviewed and, you know, say what I just said that I like, I don't remember what, what we recorded and I don't know what song that like what album that song is on. And I haven't a clue. Like I don't listen to them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's not true i have to listen to them if we're if we're going to do a song we haven't done in 20 years um but yeah yeah we've put out like 14 albums uh highlights or were were you going to prompt me or should i just like throw out things no you know what i'd Uh, love to hear uh from your point of view what you think uh are, are some of the coolest moments or maybe the neatest people you've got to work with or um, well, we don't get to collaborate a, a whole lot, but we had a good run of doing a lot of folk festivals. And so we get to do like workshop stages with some neat people. Um, uh, w- one lasting memory I will have is uh, doing a, a workshop stage. For some reason, they put us with uh, Janice Ian. You know Janice Ian? Mm-hmm. So I remember listening, to, hearing Janice Ian's song at 17 when I was probably four or five, listen, you know, whatever the era. I was very young and I listened to the radio a lot. And she is one of those performers. She's still got the voice. She's really great to her fans. And like this was just on a workshop stage and she sang it like she was singing for the first time to an audience who'd never heard it before. Just straight from the guts. It was, and I was right beside her. It's just, I'm kind of, this is so freaking cool. It's yeah. in there. Um, you know, we've got to hang out with great big C during over the years. Um, personally, like we got to play Parliament Hill on Canada day. Mm-hmm. Now there's 150,000 people there. They weren't there to see us. We were fully aware of that. But it did mean that you could go up there and say, "Hey, anyone from Canada?" and get this like massive cheer from the crowd. And yeah, we are too. <laughs> um, but that was a great Canadian moment because we sang our song "We Are the Beaver," where we make fun of our national animal. Do you think you could do that in Trump's America? Like oh, gosh, no. have a song saying the eagle's a dorky bird or something. <laughs> so, and people loved it. So, you know, that was good. We've, we've played, we have a symphony show that we've done maybe five or six times. And I would say the first time is memorable because it was so terrifying. But the second or third time we did it at the Edmonton Symphony had, has, I'm hoping still has or will have, um, an outdoor series at a, at a, at a big, big bandshell park in Edmonton. And so we got to play as part of that with a guest conductor who turned out to be, you know, he's American and originally from Rochester. 
And so we, I, I started making Chuck Mangione jokes. And <laughs> of course, he grew up with Chuck Mangione. And, uh, but he got it. He got it more than any other conductor that oh, wow. we, we'd play with. He just said, yeah, this is, this is what... Because, you know, there is a long tradition of humor in the symphony. Like Victor Borga made like oh, an yeah. awesome career of playing great music on the piano and then falling off the stool and telling fart jokes and... and you know, so he, th this guy, he, he just, his, his name was uh, Bob Bernhardt. I think he works in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And he just, he, you know, he didn't get a lot of the Canadian jokes, but he sure got that we were doing cool stuff musically, that we were entertaining the crowd and, and, and having fun. And, you know, sometimes that is sorely lacking in, in the symphony. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, I was watching some of those Edmonton Symphony clips last night, actually, and uh, there's there's a lot of them on there, so that's great. Yeah. Um, how are your? Because you do you obviously you guys uh, parody a whole bunch of styles of music, and um, but you do a lot of songs about Canada. Uh, so when you're touring the U.S., you know how does that go? Like, do you do a lot of those? And and you know because they have their ideas about us, obviously. When when we started trying to play in the States, uh, we would avoid some of the Canadian songs, not thinking that they wouldn't go over. And then very, very, I would say more so in, in the States than in Canada, there's a, there, there are very different audiences for genres of music. So we, we were part of the folk audience in, in the States. That was the kind of uh, venues that we would get to play. And those people listen and they listen to the words. And so we started singing just almost the same set we would do in Canada and they loved it. And because it was less a show of, uh, you know, all of us, we are with you, the audience in making fun of ourselves. It was just three guys on stage making fun of, of themselves and their country and, you know, pretty much playing into a lot of the stereotypes that, that Americans have of Canada. Um, <laughs> But years ago, we played a few things in Australia. And they, you know, Australia, the, the, the neat thing down there is that they are the big brother country to New Zealand. So, you know, they, you know they, that's, that's a lot of the humor there. And so the, the references didn't necessarily make sense to, to them, but they still, we would still do the same kind of stuff because, you know, they were curious to hear what it's actually like. We hear it's cold. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. <laughs> so uh, before we uh, take the music history moment break, I want to tell you one of the coolest things uh, that I saw when I was researching for this episode. Have you seen the clip where uh, Margaret Atwood sings Canada's Really Big? Oh, yes. That was, that was hilarious because she's... Yeah amazing i love margaret atwood and yeah we would get we would we've got to do uh, again we we get some weird gigs over the years um and that's part by design and part by luck of the draw so there's a literary festival in moose jaw saskatchewan that we played at like three or four times and so they always have one musical act and so we've we've been that musical act uh, three or four times and so yeah there was one year margaret atwood was there so i think she caught our set and you know maybe has heard more of the stuff so but yeah she's promoted us a lot of times on social media and 
I, I personally have never had a conversation with her. Okay. Though I, I, I really wished I had because uh, my daughter uh, had, had to, uh, they did The Handmaid's Tale in, 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 in her uh, English class. So it would have been nice to have that, you know, personal. Well, I asked Margaret and she actually meant that. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're going to take a short break for today's musical history moment. And we'll be right back with Mike McCormick. We've all done it, whether we'd like to admit it or not. I'm talking, of course, about the Macarena. The song, a remix of the original Spanish version by pop duo Los Del Rio, started a 14-week run at number one in the U.S. on August 3, 1996, and convinced way too many people that they could dance. Billboard ranked it as the number one song for 1996, and in VH1's 2002 documentary, 100 Greatest One-Hit Wonders, the song also earned the number one spot. It earned a third number one distinction in another VH1 documentary called 40 Awesomely Bad Number One Songs. A full decade after the song's initial release, Los Del Rio were still making $250,000 a year from royalties. There have been too many remixes of the song to mention, proving once again that bad taste isn't a crime. And now... Back to the show. Okay, and I'm back with Mike McCormick from the Arrogant Worms. Uh, Mike, I wanted to ask you about uh, the songwriting process for the band. So, is it a uh, the three of you write together, or are you the principal writer? Or no, we all write. Um, it's not for quite a while. It's not been terribly collaborative. Uh, we might come up with ideas together, um, and then usually it's one person writes it. Um, there is a bit of an editing process, um, especially if you're stuck somewhere, like I don't like this line or I don't even think this verse works or, you know, it's got, it's got a bridge in cause it felt like it should go someplace, but the, the bridge isn't very funny. Like, so that, yeah, in, in terms, in terms of who does it, we all write, I think we all have kind of different styles like the Beatles, you can probably tell who wrote it by who's singing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we're not like the Beatles because we're not as good nor prolific um, uh, or famous. I, uh, never mind. We'll, we, we won't add any more adjectives to that. Um, <laughs> the thing that I guess differentiates our songwriting from, uh, you know, your typical folky or, or, or rock or whatever genre you want it is that we're trying to get a laugh. Um, and been asked over the years, like, why don't you write, uh, you know, a, a non-funny song? I've written many songs that are not funny. That, w- that wasn't the point. Uh, uh, but this is kind of who we are, mm-hmm. you know, we're kind of goofs. And, and so I could try to write a love song and I've tried and it'll probably come out, you know, I love you more than, you know, gum disease, you, you know, and that's just <laughs> kind of the way our brains work. And, and then when you're, when you're trying to put comedy in a song, there are different sort of things you can do. It's best to put your joke at the end of a phrase because you have to leave room. Like doing a song is a little different from doing a stand-up or a, or a sketch comedy because the song keeps going. And, and, you know, you want to keep the beat, unless the, the screwing up is part of the joke, which we do sometimes. Um, 
but you, you almost kind of got to leave room for a reaction if you want one. Um, and you've, you've got you've, you've to set it up. Like people have got to be able to um, follow the narrative, if you, under, if you know what I mean, so that they get the joke. I mean, sometimes the joke is just a word that doesn't fit in. Um, that works really well. Like you set up a rhyme and then do a different, a different word that that can get get a, a bit of a giggle here and there mm-hmm. um but one of the things we found out early in the band that was like it's why we're still here and talking about it like we figured if we're trying to be a comedy act and, and doing music we're gonna have to just keep coming out with new material just like keep coming out because you're only gonna laugh at you know the saskatchewan pirate joke song which is our most popular song um there's only really three jokes in it. Like the joke is a, a pirate on the Saskatchewan River. Most of the places the Saskatchewan River is a trickle. Well, not everyone even knows that. But yeah. even 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 just the, the fact that, you know, a pirate on a river. Okay, that's funny. And you used to be a farmer. Okay, that's funny. Um, but it's not funny the fourth time. Yeah, I get it. You're a farmer. Ha, ha, ha. Um, but what we found out is that for, for whatever reason, lyrics, singing, the, the tune, the beat – that people liked the songs and they sing along. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, what's interesting, I don't know if you got to experience it as much in Blue Skies, but a lot of our concerts, especially in the last five, six years, um, when we're playing the old stuff, people are singing along. It's like a rock show. People, yeah. you know, people yell and scream and wah, wah. No one's, la- no one's laughing. They're, they're waiting for our wacky banter for, to get a laugh. Um, and then we'll play a new song and everybody shuts up because they want to hear if it's actually funny and, and they don't know it. They can't sing along. There's people that are disappointed because I was singing along. I was having a good time. And then, and then, and then you throw this new crap at me. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of what, what it's become. So, you know, usually our choruses, if there's a chorus, we'll have a joke in it, but, and then uh, some, sometimes you, you try to do a chorus that has like a different last line each time. And I'll tell you, I, I don't know if you're a vocalist, Tony, those are the toughest songs to remember. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you set up this nice repeating pattern and then you break it. Well, how, how the heck am I supposed to remember what the second one is? Because <laughs> to get the joke, it doesn't necessarily follow the pattern of the previous one. So yeah, that's, and that's more an age thing. <laughs> So uh, we're going to talk, uh, you know, what, uh, what are you up to these days now? So you've been in, in the Renfrew area for um, 20 years. Um, what current projects are you working on? Uh, I mean, I know a few of them, and, and we'll get on to uh, some talk about the MUDs and things too. Uh, well, I'd love to hear about your involvement with the MUDs, actually, because you must have been involved with them after I stopped yeah. for a little while. I've only done, so that that's one thing. Uh, getting a bit more time on my hands, got involved in some, you know, amateur stuff. Uh, the MUDs came about, I, I knew I had, uh, whichever year it was, I think it was 2017, that our spring was really light. I knew we, we had like a few dates out west in March, but nothing too much else. So this was my chance to do a show. And my whole family had been involved with the musical theater group in Arnprior, the Two Rivers Musicals. And so they were doing, I think it was James and the Giant Peach. And, and I, I, I looked through the songs and I thought, oh, there's a part for me there. Um, you know, if, if, they, if they want me. And, uh, but then I find out that the Mississippi Muds, who 
I didn't know anyone, but we, we'd had some friends who'd done kids who had done, done their productions. Um, most recent one, I think they'd done Peter Pan and a friend of my daughter's had, had been Jane in that. And, uh, so they're doing they're doing HMS Pinafore. Well, I love Gilbert and Sullivan. I've always loved Gilbert and Sullivan. I've never been in a show, so I thought, oh, well, you know, it's kind of crying out for me. Me, so so I came and I had to audition. I mean, I haven't auditioned for something in 25 <laughs> years, so it would have been pretty crushing if I hadn't got in. Um, but you know, I did get a part, and then then it was and what it, it was a great experience for me right off the top because the early on. Um, because in Gilbert and Sullivan, it's, there's so much music and, you know, it's a ton, it's like a choir practice cause you have to just learn all this stuff. And for, for people, especially younger people who've never heard Gilbert and Sullivan, it's completely different style and just mm-hmm. like these 6,000 words per minute and you, you got to get the beat and absolutely rigidly. Um, and so, yeah, both the director and the musical director just said, Mike, even though you're not in a lot of these songs in, in the product, just sing along, you know, while we're learning them, because, you, you know, you're a stronger reader than, than a lot of people, which I laughed at because I, again, hadn't had to read music in 25 years. Um, but I had a ball. I loved every minute. And, and it wasn't until, like, I'd say several weeks in that, you know, someone dropped that I kind of do this for a living. That, you know, there's a reason I'm okay at it. Um, but you know, there was never, I, I wasn't going to lord this over people. And, and uh, you know, because, <laughs> yeah, I'm so popular, I'm doing this. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and yeah, so I've done a couple of shows since then. And uh, yeah, and still have, have, have some ties there and, 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 and friends there. And uh, so there's that. I have a vocal trio called LMJ. We do Christmas music. And that's with uh, a woman named Lisa Weber, who leads the uh, Arn Pryor Community Choir and is a, a you know vocal teacher in, in the area and really strong singer. And yeah, it was she's that, great. Yeah, that pretty much came out of her and I getting together for a coffee and saying, you know, we should do something. Because I'd heard her complain one time because, you know, she does all the stuff, leads choirs, leads lead musical theater things. She never sings, you know, she's yeah. never on stage. And she's phenomenal. So I said, well, well, you should, <laughs> you and I could sing, wouldn't that be fun? So we, we put together this trio and we started doing a Christmas show and uh, it's done really well. And it's really fun because the other is James Hercash. I don't know if. I don't know James. I know Lisa, but I don't know him. No. Yeah. Um, he's also a great, great singer, performer, and he's done a lot with Two Rivers. And, and he's one of those rare people with a, like a real natural tenor voice. So we have, we have kind of a neat blend. They have, they have these beautiful trained voices and I have my Mack truck of a flat nasal tone voice. So, um, (laughs) but we do different things and, and over the years it's, you know, locally it's, we're fairly popular and, and it's great stuff because Lisa has this amazing catalog of stuff because she's been programming Christmas concerts for, you know, 30 years. And so, you know, and we found that a lot of these old sort of, uh, 19th century uh, English carols really lend themselves to singing a cappella, and and but a lot of people haven't heard them, so that's been fun. Um, I started working at the United Church in Renfrew as as their accompanist. I won't say organist; I'll say accompanist. And okay. very quickly, I was originally hired as the accompanist, and very quickly after that, the musical director fell on her deck and broke her wrist. 
And so I suddenly became the musical director and she took this as a divine sign that, oh, he did fine. I am out of here. So I am now the musical director at a, a United Church, which has, of course, been locked down for the last yeah. few months. Um, and so I've been doing some things through that. And uh, I think that's about it. And, you know, the, the worms have been a part-time thing for several years, but we're still a thing. Yeah, we're still alive. <laughs> we would still be willing to do a show if you could provide a, allowed, a, you know. a pandemic-free <laughs> venue somewhere. Boy, this has been uh, tough, eh? Like on performing artists. I know uh, Rick and I. Like we were, we had, we just got together yesterday to rehearse. I don't know if you know Rick Denny. He's my guitarist, but um, and we were, we were saying, you know, since March, like we've probably lost about twenty gigs by now. You know, it's just wild and um it was just so nice to to have the opportunity to be you know in the same room together yeah. playing again it was fantastic um the church uh the church gig the music director that's a busy job i'm a music director at uh, st andrews united in packenham and uh yeah that's a so do you direct a choir there as well yes i do or did oh. <laughs> yeah exactly did is right yeah i mean and and it was i i had no experience in that um, and, but I've watched people who are really good at it and try to take from that. And uh, like for, for honestly, the first two years, I felt like the choir was directing me and that was fine. Yeah. Um, um, and like, I'm amazed at, at like someone like Lisa or some of the other people I've seen, like, you know, the choir can sing and, and they'll be able to say, yeah, uh, the tenors, you came in a little early, uh, leading into bar 28. And I'm, I'm able to listen and say, the second verse was crap. <laughs> can we just do that better? But there's no way I can pick out. I have no idea. Or I forget. Because, you know, besides everything else, I'm trying to, I'm fighting myself playing the notes and trying to listen to them and, and all that, you know, again, boo-hoo-hoo musician. No, but it's a, it's a tough gig uh, being a church choir director because you're, there's so much music that you're putting out all the time. Like, yeah. I always tell, uh, you know, students, like, you want to learn to sing, join a church choir. You yeah. Know? It's unbelievable how good that is for your vocal chops. Oh, for sure. Because I, I sang, so I sang a couple years in, in Lisa's choir. And that was the first time, when the first year I joined that, I was the first time in like 20 years that I'd sung in a choir and had to, had to read music. And, you know, the jokes I made with Lisa shortly after was, you know, because I'm fairly tall and the bass is generally sing sit in the back row anyways. Well, the years have not been kind to my eyesight. And Lisa is not a tall woman. So <laughs> I couldn't even see her, <laughs> let alone try to focus on the page and her conducting at the same time. And that, but then, but you, in the community choir, and it, it's, a, it's a social group too, but you, you spend a few months preparing for a concert. Whereas in our church choir, like we're going to go over the hymns for Sunday service and, you know, hopefully get a little ahead of your, yourself on the anthems, but yep. we, we got to do one this week. Um, I want to do this one, but it's not good yet. No, <laughs> so what do you want to do? <laughs> and yeah, so it, it's definitely, and it's been really good for me because I'm an okay pianist. Uh, but not a good reader of music. So now I'm forced to read, read, read all the time. And 
Oh, you yeah, know, it, it can't help but be good. That's right. You'll get your 10,000 hours there pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, I think I finished that last year. So I'm on to, <laughs> on to the next 10. Um, so you're doing something at the church called Hump Day Hymns. I, I've seen that on Facebook a few times. Uh, and yeah. I, I just saw uh, Peter Brown was going to be a guest. But tell me yep. about Hump Day Hymns, because uh, that sounds really cool. So Hump Day Hymns was, and it actually leads into what, or follows what you said about getting together with Rick. So I started it because we, like many churches, immediately tried to uh, do a live stream of, mm-hmm. of our service. Or I, w- I would call it, our, our version has not been our service. It's been a thing for a Facebook Live. I mean, it, it captures all the elements that we would put in a, a, a typical service. We have a couple hymns. I bring in a soloist to sing something. Um, we sing the hymns and you can sing along or you can just, or you can go make tea. I don't care. And, but it's a very truncated service, but it was a massive learning curve for us. Cause I mean, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a comedy musician fighting his way through a church organ and the, and a church minister. You think either of us know what technology is required for a live stream. So, oh, yeah. you know, we made all sorts of mistakes, but we were lucky that, we had some good technology. We were pure for pure dumb luck. The minister had bought a webcam uh, a month before the lockdown because we wanted to stream a funeral that we, we were doing. And cause if we had waited, we, you know, you couldn't get a webcam for two months, you know? So we were lucky that we had a camera that could do it. We found out, uh, after doing services for a month and a half, we found out like our internet connection at our church was crap. Like our upload speeds were nothing. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so that's why it was crapping out. So, you know, we had, we, we had services where it just, the internet crashed halfway through. We had one service where just before we were about to, so we were doing it on Facebook live just before the service was about to start the whatever software was talking to the webcam said it was no longer compatible with Google Chrome and you need to update this. <laughs> and on the, the slow internet we had, Oh yeah, that'll take. So we did that service on the minister's phone. It was all right. I, you know, just, we were lucky that we had, we had a little mixing board and so we were able to close mic things and I'm just playing an electric piano and do a direct feed from that. So okay. we're not getting a huge room sound. So I think that, the sound we're putting out is pretty good and we're not trying to do it in the sanctuary. We do it kind of in the lobby through some glass. So you can see the front of the front of the church on, on the page. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's worked out, but I started hump day hymns kind of inspired by uh, another Mississippi mud, uh, Ian Gannett, who's at, who's in Carlton place at the Anglican church there. And he does something he calls Music Monday, where he just plays something. And But he's like a trained McGill organist. Mm-hmm. He's really good. And just a kid. He's probably going to get better, the stinker. And uh, so I thought, oh, I should do that. And that way, I'll have another chance, because I'm not playing a prelude or things like that. It's people who actually are interested in listening to some more hymn-type churchy music. Um, this may be a chance. And it'll give us another chance to figure out the technology. So started doing that and through again, dumb luck and the situation, it developed an audience pretty quickly, mostly of uh, seniors uh, and some in our, our local seniors homes. 
because again, they're in the weirdest situation where they can't have any visitors and still trying to, you know, there's not even baseball to watch. So yeah. And, and, and one of the, one of the women in my choir works at the, at, at the manor. So she was getting some of the people who were, had been affiliated with the church to watch. So yeah, I was getting a, you know, couple hundred views every week. So I decided one week, okay, you know what? I'm going to do an arrogant worm set and we'll do some social media thing. I don't know this stuff. We have a, we have a guy in Kingston who helps us with it. So he hosted a watch party on the arrogant worms Facebook page. And so suddenly a thing that usually got like 300 views, 400 views over the course of a week, that one got like 3000 and mm-hmm. like several hundred live. Cause there are a whole pile of people across the country that, you know, yeah, I'd like, I'd like to hear them. And, you know, it's really hard for me to do a worms set myself because oh, I sure. have to change the material. I only know the backups to a lot of the songs. And, but, you know, for, for the fans, yeah, that's, you know, that's Mike. Yeah, he, he says dumb stuff on the microphone. Yeah, that's great. So that has given me license now to do pretty much anything I want. And the minister has given me sort of thumbs up you know, people like what you do. So I've had friends, just, you know, friends from the area come in. I had Ian in one week and we kind of jammed on the organ and piano, which aren't really not tuned to each other. Um, (laughs) So we created this great chorusing effect. And, uh, you know, a couple singers, I'm having (laughs) the aforementioned Lisa Weber is going to be my guest next week. And she used to be the Alberta uh, president of the CGIT. So we're going to do a whole bunch of CGIT songs. And she says she can still uh, tie a sailor's knot, which I'm going to make her do on camera. And uh, so things like that. And yeah, last week with Peter, this was, it's been a chance for me to just play. And, you know, last week with Peter, I hope it came through the little Facebook live little feed because I don't think the sound was up to the standard we would have wanted, but we were just having fun. You know, to just like I'm not anywhere near his capability as a as a jazz improviser. But who cares? I just you know I just want to play. You yeah. know? and it it was great, and we had a ball, and we talked about jazz, and that. So that's I'm I'm doing kind of what you're doing, Tony. Is that I we we talk about music. Why why do you like it? What kind of stuff did you listen to? If it's got a churchy angle, we'll do it. But if it doesn't, let's go there. And, you know, so I've pretty much got license to keep doing it. And, hey, it's going to be a long time before we have choirs again. So I yeah. think if, if anything, it's probably I should I will probably keep doing it, you know, till the snow flies. And, you know, because now that it's gone beyond the whole, you know, I'm not just playing things out of our hymn book. I'm playing whatever I feel like on whatever instrument I feel like that week. And people are still watching. So there's still songs I haven't played yet. Two oh, or three. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Maybe five. And speaking of songs. Speaking uh, of songs. There we go. What a segue that was. Oh, that's very good. You're slick. <laughs> you got this. Uh, you had mentioned that you have a, a couple of songs that you've written that you've given me permission to uh, share with our audience. So what I what I think I'll do, if it's okay with you, is I'll put one song, uh, when I put this episode together, I'll have one song in the episode, and maybe I'll put one uh, song in the show notes, if that's sure. all right with you. Yeah. Uh, but uh, do you want to just tell us quickly about uh, those two songs? And 
Well, sure. I'll tell you where they where they come from. Is one of the things the worms continue to do is we have we're we're affiliated with a thing called Patreon. So, which is, you know, something you might want to explore. And it's basically you, you as the artist, you as the creator ask for patrons uh, anytime you put something out. So I know a lot of podcasts use it, um, musicians and other things. So, so basically we have, have, have offered to the world, to our fans, we're going to come up with a torrid pace of a song a month. So between three guys, we're going to try and get a song a month. I, I think it was your guests last week or two weeks ago that were talking that do a duo and they each write a song a week. Oh yeah, double experience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> a song Amazing. a week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if I can come up with one every three months, I've done my job. And I, I you know, um, so so we we do that, and then you know, hopefully some of the songs are good enough. They might even make it into the set, and we 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 do release them to the public within a few weeks of them but the patron the patrons get them first and if at a certain level of patronage you get a shout out and things like that and it forces us to keep keep writing and trying to record and not none none of us are great at home recording but we do it and so when when the whole uh, lockdown started you know that was sort of fertile ground for material so trevor wrote a song called uh, i grew a beard and you can probably guess the joke on that one. Yes, of um, course. And so the two I sent you, the first one I wrote was also from kind of an influence of uh, my studies into hymns and, and classical music. So it's, it's a Gregorian chant that goes into uh, a round. I love rounds and canons. And it's, it's well... I won't give away the joke, but it's one of the problems in Arrogant Worms, Will, you don't want to make your title too explanatory because yeah. you might give away the joke. So it's a song. Okay. And then the other song is called Quarantine. And it's, it's basically, it's kind of a 50s doo-wop song inspired by, I heard, was hearing stories of how productive everyone has been during the lockdown. <laughs> And I don't think I fit in that category. And fortunately, I have lots of friends who are more on my side of things. Oh, me too. You know, yeah. I, I, I was just saying, like, I planned to paint the bathroom upstairs about 11 weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it still hasn't happened, yeah, you know. Yeah, no, there's actually more stuff peeling off now. <laughs> and our back deck still looks like crap. <laughs> So uh, we're going to get into the final portion of the interview here. This is the All one right. that I, I oh. love doing this because uh, it's I'm just... terrified. <laughs> the Stewie Tunes quiz. I should get some dramatic music for this. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or just a big boom. You need James Earl Jones. That's right. <laughs> so uh, question one, favorite okay. Beatle. Who's your favorite Beatle? Okay, now do you want these? Sh do you want short answers or, 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 or do I have to explain my work? Well, I mean, you can give an explanation if you like, for sure. All right. My uh, short answer will be Ringo. Okay. My, my longer answer will be, I love them all. I don't like Paul. Um, I love John for his wit and his lyrics and the fact that he started the band and his passion. I don't like that he admitted to being a wife beater. And I don't like that he was a drug-fueled idiot following the band. 
-hmm. I love George. His guitar playing is stunning, jaw-dropping. I will never forgive him for With or Without You on, on Sgt. Pepper. I, I'm, I have no actual data for this, but I think that's the most skipped song in the history of recorded music. Um, I love Ringo because I feel like Ringo, during, after, for all time, is the only one who got being a Beatle. Yeah. And what it what it meant, and we just so sorry. I, I'll just take a very brief digression. I've been watching TCM a lot lately, and they have they have a series on Saturday nights at eight called The Essentials, and their guest host has been Brad Bird. Brad Bird is one of my favorite directors. He directed The Incredibles, Ratatouille, um, Mission Impossible, Gross Protocol. Uh, Tomorrowland, like some neat stuff. And he's just a massive movie geek. And he's, he's put some really neat stuff that he didn't expect it. And a couple of weeks ago, it was Hard Day's Night. And he just said, it's a great movie. And it's it done in black and white in a time where everything was color. And it just captures what made them. The, he, he said, it's more to, to show this was a moment in time. This if you watch that movie, you get why the Beatles took over America. Mm -hmm. They're charming, they're funny, and the music, fabulous. Like, every song is great. <laughs> and yeah, it, sure. it's just like they're running down the street, they, they do a header on the pavement, and then they walk in and, and, and play A Hard Day's Night. It's like, well, that's a pretty good song. You know, or, yeah, so there. Short answer, Ringo. Love did Ringo. You, and did you turns watch... out he's a good drummer. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a great drummer. And did you watch his birthday party thing? No. Oh, well, it's still on YouTube, but he had his uh, 80th birthday celebration. It's about oh, an hour excellent. long. It was really okay. good. Yeah. Okay. Question two, uh, best live show you've ever been able to see as a spectator? Oh, geez. That's, that's going to be, uh, that, that's really hard because I've seen a bunch of things that I love for different reasons. Last summer, uh, the NAC did an orchestra show uh, of Bugs Bunny cartoons. And I was in the front row and it oh, was nice. like astounding, like how good the music was and how funny the cartoons were and how they hang up. And the audience was every age and everyone's laughing at the cartoons and grooving to the music. Um, I, I never mentioned one of the other things I do. Uh, I've done, I've, I, I hosted an open mic for many years at a, a local venue called the Neat Coffee Shop, which yeah. is a unique venue in this country. Um, it was amazing. I got to see the Proclaimers there. It was one oh. of the first shows they ever did. And I had never been like, you know, for, I know you've got a national and a probably worldwide audience. Um, the Neat Cafe is a, a, has a, is a venue that holds about 70 people and it's in Burnstown. Uh, if you haven't heard of Renfrew, it's, Renfrew is massive compared to Burnstown. Burnstown has about 20 people. It's a yeah, four-way stop. Nowhere, yeah. yeah. And there's a venue that has world-class entertainment. And we saw the proclaimers there. And it was like, I could just feel in the crowd before the show, people saying, um, oh my God, they're here. The guys who, <laughs> the guys who sing 500 miles are right freaking there. Yeah, <laughs> this two, is two feet away. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was awesome. And those guys, they, they put it out on the line every show. Oh, nice. Um, I saw Janice Ian. Um, I, 
uh, Spirit of the West was one of a huge influence, one of my favorite bands of all time. I got to see them an amazing show at the Ontario Place Forum when it used to be a thing. But I also got to see them do a show at this like dining room on the Queen's University campus where, again, it was stunning. And then we got to do a, a, a folk festival workshop with them, which was kind of cool. Um, I'll throw out a couple of others. I, I saw a big Springsteen fan seeing him at Exhibition Stadium in Toronto was amazing. Um, I, I'm sure I'm missing something. Uh, yeah, apologies to everyone else I miss. Oh, my, my, probably my favorite artist, Canadian artist of all time who most people haven't heard of, I think this is, this is a following question, but uh, is Scott Merritt. Okay. Seeing him in, in, at, our, in Hamilton, we had a festival called Festival of Friends. I think Scott played Blue Skies quite a bit too in, in his earlier days, but he, he was an astounding performer and just weird. Like he just hears and sees the world differently. He's mostly a producer now, but just a great performer. But I don't think he liked performing. So. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, who's the performer that you most wish you could see? Like, you know, the one that you haven't seen yet, or maybe the one that you didn't get to see because they've passed on or Bob Marley. Okay. Bob Marley. And I will say Prince because a buddy of mine who goes to way more, lives in Toronto, goes to way more shows than I do. He, had, he saw when Prince did his solo piano tour just before he passed on. And I remember him, uh, you know, messaging me the next day and saying it was the best show he'd ever seen. And this guy, had, you know, he's seen Springsteen 30 times. He goes to all the Broadway shows. You know, I didn't even mention Broadway shows. Uh, and, you know, but he said Prince was unbelievable. And I have a buddy in Calgary whose brother was the entertainment writer for the Herald. And he got to go to a, one of these after parties that lots of the big name rock bands do, but the band usually doesn't show. This particular night, Prince showed, oh, wow. but he didn't, he didn't feel like playing. He just played the bass and mixed the sound. He wanted people to hear the band. And they played for like three hours. Wow. And, you know, <laughs> and, and so my buddy's there and he had to go to work the next day. <laughs> it's like <laughs> five in the morning and they're still willing to pour him drinks because it's closed and it's freaking Prince, but I got to work. <laughs> so yeah, he said, said that was amazing. So yeah, I, I'd say those, those two. Okay. And you had mentioned as a underappreciated or unknown performer who you think everyone should know about. And that was Scott Merritt, you said? I would say Scott Merritt. Scott's originally from Brantford. He, I think he lives in Guelph now. He does a lot of producing, produces like Fred Eaglesmith and, and other, other Canadian artists, but you know, amazing his first two albums are called Serious Interference and, and uh, you know, Gravity is Mutual. He was one of the first I ever heard that would use uh, um, a uh, digital delay on his guitar. And, you know, the, the stuff the police got really famous for and, mm -hmm. and, and, and things like that. But he would, he would do it and create these, these things on stage where, and, you know, but playing with a band. Uh, and, and so everyone has to stick to that, you know, you can't, change the tempo you, you can't miss but they would do it live with just speakers as monitors and he could he could play it and do solos on this and amazing things like that i would also say my favorite my favorite band is uh, trout fishing in america that 
again, most people have never heard of. Yeah, no. They, they, they played the Blue Skies a couple times. They're a duo. They're from the States. They're a guitar player and a bass player. Um, they, uh, they're both like really monster players, but really entertaining. And, and they're funny to look at too. That, that uh, the bass player plays an upright bass and he's about five foot six. Okay. And uh, the, the guitar player is about six foot 11. And <laughs> in his hands, a guitar looks like a wrench. Uh, you just, these massive meat hooks. And he hits, he just bashes the crap out of guitar, gets this huge clicky sound. Like the, the sound they create with two people is, it, 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 it can fill, you know, an entire stadium if they ever play that. But they, they can, they are, they just love to play. And they, they can, they can play to a, a room full of Southern drunks and they can play to a room full of little kids and be entertaining to both. And those are some pretty tough audiences. Yeah. I'll put them in the show notes then, uh, you know, so people can look at Oh up yeah. And, yeah. And final question before okay. I let you off the hook here. So uh, if you could choose one musician or band to come over for dinner, you're having a dinner party, who would you, uh, who would you invite over? Well, it would probably be Bob Marley, but you know, he, depending on the day, he might be just smoking so much weed that it wouldn't be in really interesting conversation. Um, I'd love to actually get to chat with Springsteen. Mm -hmm. Um and these days, there's a whole lot of pe friends in the States and in other provinces I wouldn't mind hanging out with. Oh, can I add Dave Gunning to the, the, the previous un, under? Yeah, you know, sure. I don't think enough people know Dave Gunning. Dave, Dave Gunning's just a great, you know, Cape Breton singer-songwriter. But he's just a nice guy and writes great songs and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I can't even go visit Dave. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that totally blows well you understand why but you know <laughs> just really sucks yeah well that's uh i mean it you know i uh this podcast in a way is therapeutic because i do get yeah. to you know chat with other musicians and that's the best you know and yeah and now you need to figure out a way that you can play with them well, that's right yeah because doing the online together is impossible rick and yeah. i tried that and the leg is just you have to pre-record and send tracks and that's not yeah. that, that's not that did, fun did, so did you try it with your church choir uh well we tried choir thing we didn't do the virtual choir thing because i knew uh, <laughs> what that was going to be like um so we did try you know i would pre-record some accompaniments and people would you know join in on a hymn or whatever but yeah it's tough yeah. Very tough. Uh, well, Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. And uh, I'm so glad yeah, that we too. finally, finally got to meet because like yeah. I said, I feel like our paths almost have crossed a bunch of times and, and uh, we know a lot of the same people. So uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. And I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. Take care. Yeah, you too. Dawn is making a table, Kathy's sewing a quilt, Amy's growing a cactus, Johnny's walking on stilts. Everyone's learning new skills while in quarantine. Katie's baking bagels, Gene is learning guitar, Bill is speaking Italian, Anne is fixing her car. Seems I'm the only one who's done nothing 
in quarantine And I am lonely Yes, I am lonely I'm alone And so I confess That I'm not upset Or filled with regret With my lack Lack of success Granny's writing letters Marty's writing a play Gord is writing his movie At least he was yesterday Seems I'm the only one Who's not writing in quarantine And I am lonely, lonely Maybe I'm stupid, stupid Sitting around, achieving nothing But I've sat and I've watched every episode Of Tiger King So go ahead, scale Everest a face full of hair Read great expectations I don't friggin' care I'm happy right here On the couch with a drink I won't make you jealous I won't make you think That you're the only one Who's done nothing in quarantine I think that song sums up pretty much how a lot of people are feeling during this quarantine period. I'd like to thank Mike McCormick for joining me today, and I'd also like to thank him for providing me with a couple of tunes. You'll notice that one of the tunes, uh, Quarantine, is here on the episode, but to hear the other one, it's called Last Roll, you're going to have to check out the show notes on stewytunes.com and I'll include a link to the song there. Thanks again for listening today. As we start winding down Season 2, I've got some great interviews coming up, including uh, music journalist Aaron Badgley next Monday, and the following Monday after that, I've got Lucas Hanneman from the Lucas Hanneman Express, who is an up-and-coming guitarist and uh, songwriter, singer, who's really making some waves. I'd also like to thank my musical partner, Rick Denis, for providing the music that you're hearing right now underneath my closing monologue here. And, of course, as I always mention, uh, please be sure to subscribe uh, if you can, rate or review, and even more importantly, let someone else know. If you know someone who likes podcasts and might enjoy listening to this show, please pass that along. As always, stay safe, be well, and see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Stewie Tunes Show. If you're enjoying this show, don't forget to click subscribe.